This is exactly right. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun, Dun, dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm your host, Kara. And I'm Lisa, your other host. And we are thrilled to be here talking about SVU, true crime, and no guests because the motion picture people are fucking idiots. I was going to say twats <laughs> and then I held back, but I'll say twat. I'll say Well, it. you really are getting so British. <laughs> <laughs> I do have, um, well, I told you this a little bit ago. I mean, well, in Atlanta, we figured it out, but pimento cheese is about to have a moment. So it's, everybody, it, yes. it's out there, it's everywhere, and you should all get in on the pimento cheese train. We are going on tour, and my mom is coming to help with the kids, and so I was having Jared pick out the Blue Apron meals that he's going to make for him and my mom, and one of them is a pimento cheeseburger, and I was like, Lisa's right, pimento cheese is about to blow up. Yeah, it's real. I see it everywhere. And then this um, Hilltop, which is a coffee breakfast uh, chain in LA, I guess. Not a chain. There's like a few of them owned by Issa Rae. But they have a pimento grilled cheese and it is not bad. Yeah. I want to know, okay, what what is in it? Yeah, it what is, is pimento cheese? <laughs> literally looking it up, I'm like, pimento cheese Wikipedia. Is there one? Okay, pimento cheese is made of cheese, mayo, and pimentos. But what the fuck are pimentos? I bet it's a pepper, but I did not know that there was mayo in it. No wonder we fucking love it. Of course I love it. I cheese love- mixed with mayo? Oh yeah, my God. Yeah, pimentos are like little red peppers. Like it, this thing is like pickled cherry peppers also. Oh my God. But my friend from England, it is funny. Like she's like, what are your normal pizza toppings? I'm like, I don't know, cheese, but I'll take like a sausage pepper onion if it's the special kind of place or like a weirdly pineapple onion. And she's like, I usually do a sweet corn chicken and spin it. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. We're not getting (laughs) sweet corn chicken mushrooms. (laughs) Wait, what? You fucking creep. That pizza sounds nuts. Um, we would love a corn pizza, though. I think we would. As a I mean, group. I do love corn. Yes, we. Right when we went to Vegas, seeking out corn pasta, and we found it. Yeah, but I was the only one who ordered it. I thought I know, everyone was going to order it. What did I get? Oh, I got vodka sauce because I love vodka sauce. But you gave me one of your yours, so I got my fix. I got my little yeah. bite. Yeah. yeah, and I had some of your vodka sauce, which was good. But yeah. I keep thinking about that ricotta fucking focaccia. That yeah. that whipped honey ricotta. I I got to go back. Yeah. You know that what? That was good. There's an RPM in Chicago. We should go before our show at Park West. Is that the one we went to? Yeah. 
Oh. Or we could try something new. You know, we, we love to explore. <laughs> we love to explore. But I want more. I, yeah, vodka sauce is just so fucking good. I know. You know I what just I just love found? It. At Barclays, if you're like in the VIP during the sports, like during halftime, they have a little catering area and it's Carbone. No. Yeah. Carbone caters Barclays? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've only been to Barclays once and I saw Jay-Z. There. That's cool. Is that when he yeah. took the train? Is that where the concerts he took the train? To? Maybe, maybe. It was so easy. It's so easy to go see stuff at Barclays because you just everybody just gets out and there's space for everyone. Like my least favorite thing about concerts is like in LA, there's so many beautiful concert venues, but it's like we're all funneling out to the same parking lots in the same area. But it's like Barclays, there's like 90 entrances and you all just scatter into the New York streets after, you know, it's so good. Yeah. And then everyone is singing on the train platform or you're walking blocks <laughs> from the concert together. Like, yeah, there's yeah. places to grab a drink like right there. You know what I mean? If you want to like keep the party going. Not so the case with, um, you know, these L.A. venues, but I also think they're beautiful. You also go to an L.A. venue and you, like, look at a mountain in the moonlight while you're watching a concert, so. I know. We are in the time machine because in the future, you guys are going to have so much to hear from us. I'm seeing Incubus this week. Oh, my God. So. I forgot. At the Hollywood Bowl, right? Yeah. Yeah, baby. Hell Yeah. I'm ex- I'm excited I'm excited I want to be up there for the Hollywood Bowl because not to brag last time we went my only time we we sat so close yeah and it was we had amazing. a hookup for Backstreet yeah but now I'm sitting up but I'll be able to see the view or like the fireworks if they happen you know like yeah it's a different experience and I'll be happy. I've sat nosebleeds at at Hollywood Bowl and I love it like I love it every time I and think I it's can so bring fun. a cooler of food that's like part of the gig right like you bring stuff because it depends oh okay it depends see the way the Hollywood Bowl works is that certain of the events are Hollywood Bowl events and then some of them are like the Hollywood Bowl is essentially being rented out and when it's those you're not allowed and when it is so you just have to like check the website and see what the event things are because I have been there where I've brought picnic snacks and bought my own wine and everything. But um, there's other times where you're not allowed. Oh, I bet that's just for the symphony and then for the other concerts. It's It's like symphony, like Sound of Music, sing along, that kind of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh my God, our friend's daughters are fully obsessed with Sound of Music right now. Have you ever been a Sound of Music girl? No. I was like obsessed when I was a kid because we did it at my school. I'm a little sad. I, you know, I was excited when the the girls were in a Spice Girls, but now it's (laughs) the sound of music. So that's not for me. They're literally like, high on a hill was a lonely goat herd. Like they're like singing all of the little songs from it. They know all the words. It's crazy. I'm not, Rosie's not into live musicals yet, but I can't wait until she is. I want to. I wanted to watch that new Matilda. I heard that slaps. Yeah, I wonder if that's that's the entryway. Just full orphan. It, it is. <laughs> it's I don't know all, if we go full orphan. Yeah, full orphan for the first musical, and then all the other musicals should be like, where are the orphans? I don't get it. Well, no, I mean, unless we really want to talk about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, but we'll see if that's done. I'm like How much already do you think burnt ta- out on talking about them, but yeah. How much do you think the NFL is paying Taylor Swift? That's what I was just talking about with, oh, I went on Justin's podcast and we okay. were talking about this and- Well, plug him, Justin Martindale. Justin Martindale, everyone. Justin Martindale, yeah. He has a podcast called Just Saying and- uh, 
I was telling him your theory too. I was like, maybe she's trying, Lisa's theory or what she's heard is that like, she's trying to like maybe outshine Beyonce a little bit just like during the end of her tour. And um, so we'll see. What did he say? He was like, that makes sense. I mean, we were conspiracy theorying about everything. I was like, my conspiracy theory about the housewives is that they're all trying to do Scandaval now. Like, I, we were just talking, bouncing forth back. He was like, possible, you know, everyone's... But he thinks it's a total PR scam, too, like everybody does. But uh, people on the internet were like, I was seeing on X yesterday, kill me, I can't believe I'm even referring to it like that, but are like, why would she need to do that? And I'm like, there's always more. Taylor doesn't have every single person in the world. I mean, like, I feel like, right? If you're like a big pop star, there's always more people you could get to like you and buy your shit and be on your side. Okay, so this is everything that I've gathered. It's the redo of 1989 Taylor's version and that era of her was all like, hanging out with her friends, bad blood, supermodels. Like, so it's the, it's that era again. And she wants to stay in the press. She doesn't, and I think she wants to stay in the press because Beyonce's tour is going to make more money. And she doesn't like that. And it was ending in Kansas City. And instead of talking about Beyonce's incredible tour and how it was ending and all the magic that she's created, we're talking about Taylor Swift at a Kansas City game in New York. So I think yeah. it's just keeping her talked about. And in the right, yes. you know, so in that way, it's like good PR. I think the NFL is paying her because they straight up are doing Taylor's version on their Twitter bios. They, the commercials for the Jets game was welcome to New York. Like, yeah, they are trying and Swifties, Swifties change economies. Okay. <sighs> so now we have Swifties buying tickets. They love buying merch. They're coming to the games. And now all these like dads are hanging out with their daughters finally on a Sunday. <laughs> Good for you. Is this what Elliot Stabler needs to hang out with his kids? Yes. <laughs> and, and then the other the theory, which is, you know, a, a next step up is, is this beard territory. Who is gay and who is protecting who? And so that is another situation where some people believe that Taylor, you know, none of these relationships are real. Maybe all of them. I think it's like professional wrestling to me because like you can know that it's staged and have a good time. You know, yeah. you know, it's still skillful. You still want to look at them. They're in shape. They're doing tricks. You're in. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, they planned backstage what's about to happen. And so there's those kinds of fans. And then there's marks. And the marks think it's all real and yeah. not planned. And those are usually children or Disney adults. And those are the people that are like, oh, you could tell they've been dating because she's, you know, she's so close to his mother. And it's like, you're an idiot, but we're all having fun, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> but do I hope that there are two hot people are fucking and they're having a good time and she's with like a real man who's into her? And the romance is incredible at the end of the day. Yeah, and maybe this is like the ultimate rom-com where it starts as a PR stunt and yes. then they fall in love. Like, how many people have been yes. set up by their agents or whatever that are like, this could be cool, and then may, and then they do get married and have kids and stuff, you know? Who knows? This is so funny. We are recording this so early. By the time this comes out, like, this They're gonna be broken all up. be done. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. We're gonna get yeah. messages like, it's over with. Shut up. But Sorry, we, yeah. this is like, this episode is actually like a little bit like double time machine because we're going on the road and hopefully you guys are gonna come see us and we'll get into that in a second. But, 
but you know, like, so this is like her, the Arrows movie will have come out like over a week ago. We are old ladies talking about, did you hear about this pretty little singer and the football man? Yeah, that's us. <laughs> that's us. But listen, if you're going to show up hot. for- and if you're going to show up I for just, Taylor at a football game, please show up for us. And here is where we're going to be. <laughs> wait, hold on. I just don't. Yeah. I just like, I don't believe that he would be a good enough actor. Like the way he's really playing it up. But I don't know if you saw, but Rosebud posted a thing on her stories. And she was saying how like when he was on SNL, he had trouble reading. Like, the table reads kept taking forever because he just can't really read that well. Um, but then she walked by his dressing room and he was, like, with all his football friends and they were helping him read lines. Like, they were practicing oh, reading together. That's so and cute. It's so cute. And so she that's when she realized she was pregnant because she was crying over how cute it was. And she's like, <laughs> I must be pregnant. <laughs> that's what she realized. Oh my God, that's so funny. Because the other thing too is like, it's one thing to read. It's another thing to like read funny dialogue in front of the cast of SNL who are professional comedians and you're a football player. That's like not what you do, you know? Like I'm sure yeah. the guy is literate. It's just, that's nerve wracking. Anyway, after you leave uh, Dave and Buster's where you're watching those two on at a football game, please come see us on tour. This episode comes out the 24th. Why? Wait, we are I do. I am sorry. Obviously, we got to plug our tour. But I also just love that like men are so like so sexist in their bones that they're like, he better get a prenup, you know? Ah, he, uh, she's just like they or even the like the trend of like she put him on the map and they're pissed. It's like she is 75 times more famous than him. And I don't understand why men can't, like, understand that. Yeah, like, I really am dying to know. Wait, hold on. I have to look this up. How much is Taylor Swift worth She's over. A, she's right now worth over $700 million. By the end of the tour, she will be worth over a billion dollars, I believe. And he's a football player that probably makes, like, a $20 million contract no, or something. No, he's, right? he's probably worth th between 30 and $50 million. Like, he's, he's not a poor guy, but, like— No, I'm just saying comparatively. Yeah, like a, exactly. He has a rough net worth of $30 million. That His is home's like, a, a million dollars. It's like, your home's a million dollars. That's, like, a nothing compared to fucking Taylor, I'm just saying. But that is funny about the sexism because it's so true. Yeah, but the guys are being like, uh-uh, he put her on the map to guys who— you might not know her. And it's like, but you do know her. <laughs> you yeah. do know her. Yeah. Whatever. I'm a new Swifty. I'm always late to the party. No, I did see the 1989 tour, but like I've, the PR is working. I, I'll just say this. I am, <laughs> I'm an equal Mark and not Mark, I would say. I don't know. Yeah. I love it. But yes, we have shows to promote and we are not millionaires. Yes. And, um, you know, not even I, close. Not Please come see us. Um, this episode comes out today, the 24th uh, of October. That means tonight we are in Toronto, baby. You guys from Toronto have been begging us to come in here. We're coming. Please come see us. Detroit, Michigan tomorrow, uh, the 25th. And then Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania the next day uh, on the 26th. And then, guys, the big Midwest tour. We start in Salt Lake on the 4th, but then we go Chicago on the 5th, Madison on the 6th, Minneapolis on the 7th, Milwaukee on the 8th, St. Louis on the 9th. 
Then it's Sacramento, New York, and Philly in December. You can check out all those dates at that'smesseduplive.com. And we have added a late show in New York. Please get tickets for that. It would be um, so sad to have the first show be sold out and the second show just be like book club size. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so that's that on that. Um, what else? Should we just get the party started with this episode? We've got another hot episode from or the early seasons. about other very, very timely things so everyone knows when this was uh, yeah, exactly. taped? Is that what should we should do? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Halloween's coming up and that's a holiday I love. But Oh that's, yeah, that's send that. us a message. DM us if you're um, going to be an SVU-related Halloween costume. We'll share your costumes. I want to see some iced teas. I want to see some Belzers. I want to see some, uh, I don't know. I guess there's like some really funny like niche ones you could do. Listen, like I am ordering- oh, like dressing as Cynthia Nixon from Alternate with the little pigtails. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we should do SVU costumes. I know, we should. Fuck. Okay, we gotta start. We gotta start. I, yeah. I'll be. I'll be the guy from Charisma. Um, I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> I'll strap a bunch of dead children. To Cabbage my chest. patch dolls. To your <laughs> yeah. Chest. Yeah. I mean, we have the same hair. Like I, I truly. <laughs> I just have to put my arms out like Jesus, and I'll be Charisma. <laughs> God, he was wild. He loved meditating. He loved. We're gonna meditating. brainstorm some more uh, um, inappropriate ideas for costumes, but um, in the meantime, oh, this was fun. If you're picking up a friend from the airport from a different country and you're bringing American snacks, what would you bring? Ooh, I mean, so, I think of an American snack as like Cheetos. That's a good one. Like. Probably like some candy, except people from other countries hate our chocolate. Like they don't like Hershey's. They think it tastes sour. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I gave her gushers and she's like, you know what we what that means in England? And I'm like, yeah, squirting. We're not idiots. Um, <laughs> but then she bit it. She's like, ugh, something's inside of it. I'm like, yeah, the gush, you loser. <laughs> That's the gush. <laughs> oh my God, this is so wild. This has been a truly unhinged Wait, episode. While we went to the beach, okay, I don't know if this is... Okay, there was a man obviously having a mental episode or a really, like, intense LSD trip. Like, uh -huh. whatever it was, he had a really amazing setup. The reason I wanted to sit next to him was because he was playing, like, Luda, Nelly, like, yeah. early 2000s. <laughs> he played juvenile. So, like, while we were picking a spot at the beach, I go, oh, let's just be by the guy with the speaker because he's playing let's get good music. Tunes. Yeah. He was drinking. He was, he was having... He was reliving trauma loudly and he was yelling like, dad, why don't you listen to mom? Like he was fully. Um, oh, no. Yeah, it was. He's like, I'm the man of the house now. Like it was. Um, but we didn't move. And then a man with a really nice dog came to like help him for a little bit. But for about an hour, he was reliving his youthful trauma out loud. And we were there for him. But, and that's what you took your friend directly from the airport to experience. <laughs> <laughs> and there were pigeons. I'm like, we can't just ever have a truly nice time. You know, like there needs to be a little roughness to our... Because one time when she met me in New York, a guy was passing out and we had to hold him on the train and walk him off. And like, there's always... We're always just wow. kind of... 
um, involved. She's basically coming from England to the U.S. on a humanitarian mission. Like every time she comes, she's here to help. I love that. He's just um, like, I should be able to eat what I want. Like he was just, you know, as someone that researches, you know. So then a part of me is like, hopefully he's just like having a mushroom trip and getting through stuff. Best case scenario. Worst best case. case. Yeah, best yeah. case. Yeah. His setup was really nice though. Okay. Yes, oh my God, just, we got to go. I'm so yeah. sorry. Did you right. promote the tour yet or do I, have I interrupted you every single yes. time? <laughs> yes, I, I, against your best efforts, I have promoted the tour. <laughs> um, so let's get started with the episode. We got a good one from an early season. We're jumping in. Here we go. We will be doing the episode Appearances, season four, episode 19. And even though this is uh, season four, it truly is like, looks like season one. Yeah. It's really old-timey, feel, vibe, case. I don't know. There's something really retro about it. And it is season four, so maybe, I don't know. It just seems different. Yes. But also some classic tropes, some classic, classic favorite, I would say. Let's just get into this. The bus doors open and a blonde Bob teacher is addressing her class, ready to board the bus. And she's like, you know, make sure everyone's with their partners. And the, But there's a famous um, Simpsons episode where what if the two partners are missing? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I have my buddy, but what if you and your buddy are gone? Then right. you're fucked. <laughs> so this whole system of elementary school field trip logic is not good. Um, and she has a fur-lined hood, which, uh of the era. <laughs> uh, and she has a scowl. She's not happy about this, but what, what chaperone on a field trip is. And then one kid tells on another kid because this and that. And it's like, kid, get a life. No one likes a narc. And... <laughs> They're headed to the Natural History Museum. But before that, the, another boy with glasses, he has an announcement. He's like, oh, someone left their suitcase on the bus. And, and, the, and then the boy's like, that's heavy. So the teacher acts fast. Everyone rushes off the bus. Uh, sexy bomb squad man in a helmet. They're ready to work. There's a guy with scuba suits. They're x-raying the suitcase. The, you know, the helmet and the nerd are watching. And the nerd is like, fuck. It's not a bomb. It's bones. Uh -oh. And also, I noticed that this is just like a normal city bus. Yeah. I don't understand. How are you taking a whole class to the museum on a city bus? I was thinking about that too because I've, rid I've ridden the New York City bus a long time. I've never seen a class of children get on it. But I'm assuming that like if you, if you teach on the Upper East Side and you want to just take kids across the park to the Museum of Natural History, wouldn't you just hop on the Crosstown? I guess. Well, I don't know. Not in the suburbs. You would get a school bus, but I've seen field trips on the train all the time. I've seen camps. I've seen big so, groups. Yeah. yeah, subway. So if I if it's for the train, I see it for a bus. I just really grew up where you take a school bus. Like this is yes. so foreign. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that was really shocking that it was a city bus, but it makes sense that there was you know a loose suitcase and stuff like that. So um, you know. We're on the case. The girl is eight or nine, no ID. Yeah, what child has an ID? What do they think that she was going to have her? <laughs> her club penguin card? <laughs> what ID? <laughs> They're going to use the library card? <laughs> like, so wild. Um, so I have wow. a passport card for Rosie, and it, I keep it in my wallet, and it does look like a baby with a driver's license. <laughs> and she was a real baby during that ride, isn't it? Like, so yes. cute. She's Ugh. five months old. <laughs> 
That's so cute. Um, so the girl was jammed inside a suitcase and left on a bus. Not good. And the driver doesn't remember anyone. And it's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a city bus driver. I'm not going to remember every <laughs> yeah. Tom, Joe, and I'm Larry. not a bartender. I'm not a bartender on Law & SVU where I could tell you who got on, what time, what they drank. <laughs> yeah, I got a, no one wants me to merge. I'm turning right. Okay. <laughs> Melinda's on the case and she doesn't know the cause of death yet, but there are ligature marks on the arms and wrists and based on something or other, and there's just, she was bound somewhere else and then put in the suitcase. And then Benson is in a short hair soupy bang era and she leans down to the body. And right away she notices a fresh, nice, like French manicure and pedicure. And she goes, that's a salon job. And then there's dark roots and blonde hair. So... This girl is made up. And Maloney thinks she's too young for all this flair. But Benson's like, it's probably Kitty Beauty pageants. And they're like, uh-oh, not a Jean Bonnet. And um, yeah, it was really sad and the whole case and everything. But we, we as a nation really never discussed Jean Bonnet is a wild name, right? For a little girl in Colorado. Yes. Was that ever brought up? Like, hey, guys, I know she's murdered, but can you also explain why you gave her that name? <laughs> um, I'm literally going to try to Google it really quickly. I feel like it's never... Oh, oh, okay. It was... She was named after her father, combining his first and middle names. His name was John Bennett. And so Jean Bonnet with the French flair. I hate that even more than just thinking it was French. like... I, if it was just a fake French name, I would like that more than naming it after... Name, having to name your daughter after her dad's first and last name. Like, name her Jana or something. You know, there's names that are... Can be feminized off of John. Has to be full name. Hi, you already, I'm like, Jean the, the men get the boys, right? The men get all the boys to be their little juniors. And then it's so weird. Also, they have a son. Who's older? Why didn't they name him John Bennett? Well, maybe the dad's as big of a creep as the dad in this. Stay tuned. Yeah. Guys. So <laughs> Benson, you know, she goes, wow, we have a dead beauty queen. Okay, that's nice. Um, And then done, done credits. We, it's still just a kid and you solve the crime. Uh, we return to the morgue with a straight hair ponytail, Melinda. And she goes, yes, there are fluids. Ugh. And the way she died, not good. V basically in her mouth was vomit and latex. Um, they also found sawgrass inside of her sweater, which only grows in the Florida Everglades. And there's more. They've realized that she's had a fucking nose job. And then Melinda goes, and a damn good one. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we got to walk and talk brainstorm with Cragen and Munch, but sadly nothing is really hitting or working. No matches, evidence, patterns. Like, what are we going to do? Cragen's suggesting if there are any local pageants coming up um, or recently happened and look into those. And with some luck, you know, we'll we'll get to investigate the child beauty pageant scene. But before they do anything, they need to talk shit about nine-year-olds getting nose jobs. Cragen tells Benson and Elliot to go to the Nip and Tuck Brigade. <laughs> and Craig, and I think that's just mom and dad, right? <laughs> like, is or is it doctors? I don't know. The I would, Nip and yeah. Tuck Brigade is so funny to me. And then, so... But that's what Benson and, um, and Stabler are doing. And then Craig and Munch are going to go catch the kitty pageant scene. A woman who you imagine in your head as a beauty pageant leader, coach person, is up, looks exactly what you're imagining in your head, but also at a Mormon style, half up, half down hairdo with a lot of volume and thin eyebrows. Very, very 2000s. I mean, sperm, very. you know, like big and into sperm. We've all... <laughs> 
we've all had a sperm eyebrow. Um, and she's taken aback by their disdain for the pageants. She's like, I'm really proud to help ladies' characters build, you know? And the pageant's called Little Angels. They flash her a morgue photo, and her re- reaction is legit, like, fuck. And it might be the first dead body she's ever seen, and I never like how loose they are showing dead body pictures to people. It really bothers me. But she doesn't recognize the girl, but it does really sadden her. And she says that's nobody she knows, but they like she'll go through the files of people who did not get into the pageant. Belzer inquires about the security for the pageant, and she goes, we are really strict about badges. How much are badges? $25. So by strict, they mean... $25. $25. Do you have $25? <laughs> Reagan uh, takes a call and it's Olivia and she informs him that a girl named Sherry Lathan has just been reported missing in Valley Stream. And so Olivia and Elliot are going to head there now and Belzer finds her file and picture. She has puffy um, hair, blonde hair, green dress, huge smile. And it does seem like pageants make her happy. Like she does look really into it. Um, She has an Elle Fanning vibe as well. So then like it moves from that one photo of her into a bunch of framed photos. We're at a grieving parent's home right now. The dad is a creep. Um, They've been competing for four years. Her friend did it, and so she really wanted to do it. And then the last pageant was three months before, um, right before her surgery. And the sad mom is comatose and like not in the moment, but gets out of the zone to say plastic surgery. And you can feel she is not happy about it one bit. And he sternly says that's what she wanted. And she, of course, lets him know that's clearly what you wanted. No six year asks for a nose job. And they ask, why did it take you so long to report your daughter missing? And this couple is so strange. Outside of the dad being so into beauty pageants, the mom is so mad. I mean, they did just lose a daughter. I take it back. They can act how they want. So... Anyways, she was supposed to be at Amy Prescott's house for a sleepover and then go straight to school. And that's where they thought she was. That all seems kosher. I don't see anything suspicious here. So the last time Cherie was seen was the dad took her to get new headshots and then dropped her off at Amy's house. The mom is so sad. Dad is a weirdo. I am reiterating. He is very strange. And they ask if they've been to Florida recently and the dad cries finally. And he remembers Christmas at Disney World. They ask him for a DNA sample. And he is actually calmer than a lot of dads that are asked for DNA. DNA in connection to their daughter's crimes. He is mad and defensive, but in a really calm tone. And he's teary and he goes, I know what you're thinking and you're wrong. I worshipped her. And to be fair, that is worse than being upset about the DNA. I think worshipping your little girl is creepy. The nose job is bad. I can't believe there's a doctor that would do a nose job on a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old unless you really had, like, a deviated septum that was making it hard for you to breathe. Like, you had some kind of, like, real problem. Like, just a plastic nose job on a... I don't know. We've got people that listen to us that, like, work at plastic surgeons' offices that I feel. Can you please let us know if you would do a nose job on an eight-year-old? Because I feel like that's weird. Your nose is, like, not done developing. Actually, your nose nose grows forever, so it's never done developing. But go on. So the next scene, they go to the friend Amy Prescott's house. Benson's talking to the mom while Elliot glares at the daughter. Um, And the mom explains Amy had the flu, so Cherie went to school on her own. And the mom offered her a ride to the bus stop, but she's like, oh, no worries, I'll walk. And it's only four blocks. And the mom's like, fuck, I should have insisted on driving her, but I didn't want to leave Amy. And And the daughter says, I'm sorry. And it's like, it's not your fault your mom's an idiot. You know what I mean? Your daughter with the flu can't be alone for four blocks. Like, I I just, I can't, I really don't understand. Elliot leans in and asks Amy if she's ever complained about someone bothering her. And she goes, yes, Kevin, 10th grade, he bothered us. He would tell Cherie she looked hot and meant it. And he had to hang around the gymnastics practice, 
He'd hang around our gymnastics practice and just stare at us. And then, uh uh-oh, Belzer and Finn are talking about this dude. (laughs) He basically, um, he writes fan fiction about little children on the World Wide Web. And he even names in the fanfic, like, the character is Cherie. Um, This creep is 15, and he convinced a sixth grader once to pose in a bikini for an art project. So Kevin is in the barroom cement, and Finn is playing rough and tumble with him. And the dad is like, fuck you, Kevin. You skipped school. And it's like, I don't know, your child's also a pedophile. I don't know if skipping school is <laughs> the biggest problem you have today. And they go, yeah, I'm like, he, he might never be able to go near a school again. Okay? Bigger <laughs> worse. So he doesn't have an alibi, but he says that he would never touch her. They start reading the stories out loud, and he says, that's creative expression. And then he calls the black man and the Jew a Nazi. I don't know which one, but... It is pretty fun. (laughs) He says, I make stuff up. And they say, give us DNA. He says, no, the dad's like, the hell you will. So we're team daddy over here. And then he, then the kid goes, you fascist, I'm going to sue. And the dad grabs him, throws him into the chair, rips the hair out of his head and goes, will this do? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Melinda says, no. So no match. Uh, We're in the lab and it's no match on the hairs. Uh, Finn is like, we should still watch him. He's going to, he's going to commit a crime soon. Um, Also, Melinda found progesterone in the purpose ejaculate, which is a female hormone. So it's given to high school girls to prevent pregnancy. Cool. Or it can be taken um, as like a testosterone blocker to treat cancer. Or it's for people undergoing males of female gender reassignment surgery. Or Belzer says um, to sex offenders to reduce sex drive. And Melinda goes, yeah, but no, because I found traces of testosterone in the blood. And Finn is like, oh my God, this this person is trying to reverse the effects of chemical castration to rape the child. Finn calls him a freak. And um, we need to find him because he's not going to stop. So if you're getting chemically castrated and then reversing it with tea, like you really want to be out there. So NYC doesn't allow chemical castration, um, but nine states do. Georgia's the closest one to New York City. And they're like, well, what about voluntary vibes? And they're like, sure, but why would you choose to do it and then take testosterone? That doesn't make sense. And BD Wong's like, well, he's done his homework. So Juan gets down and is just like, this guy likes a perfect victim, pageant, sexualized children who are innocent yet provocative. Bondage means he has thought about it for a long time before he did it. We need to find him. So calls, 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 state to state. But chemical castration hasn't been around long enough to have a centralized database. So finally, Elliot points to Florida. And it's like, why wouldn't that be the first idea? You found the sawgrass from the Everglades. Why would you look anywhere else but Florida? Yeah. Your call, Florida's the last call you make. I'm I'm dead. I just can't even. So they start um, finding names of people who've been CC'd. That's chemical castration for me. So one guy is Ra- uh, Rob Canote from Milwaukee and he started treatments in Jersey City recently. And so it's like, well, maybe he went to Florida and came back. He does have a rap sheet. So, um, and he one time straight up kidnapped a girl from a beauty pageant to try to assault her in his car. So I think this is a, a great suspect. And she, But the girl, thank God, escaped. She was 10 years old. Very badass. So we go to a Jersey City library. I don't think this man should be working there. And right away when he sees them, he's like, what, a girl's been attacked? And they're like, well, why would you say that? And he goes, that's the only reason you'd come find me, duh. And they say they want to talk about kitty beauty pageants and they question him about Cherie. And he goes, well, I don't remember her, but it's hard to keep track of so many different lovelies. This throws Elliot into a rage. He throws the book (laughs) out of his hand, corners him into a shelf and goes, where were you last night? He was watching Nickelodeon. This guy does not stop. (laughs) 
And he says, um, don't worry, though. Like, you found a Dracula, right? So it can't be me. The urges, you know, started to come back, so I had him cut off. He pulls down his pants in the aisle of the library and goes, look. And Elliot's like, okay, um, we get it. Pull your pants up. So then Benson gets a call, and one of the Florida names they got has a mother who lives two houses down from Cherie. And the guy's name is Tommy Hedges. So Munch and Finn are going to go visit the mother of the house that's next to Cherie that her son's a criminal. And she is 80s. Like, she is, like, short mom structured hair, lots of heavy (laughs) highlights, a sweater that, like, a teacher would wear with, like, a cute scene on it. And she takes them around the house very nonchalantly. She's like, listen, he hasn't come visit. He can't leave the state, but his room is here for him. They see a van. They want to search it. Um, It's peculiar. It's the, the... the van piques their interest. And she says it was her late husband's and she's keeping it for Tommy and she doesn't drive it at all. But it's like, lady, you're dumb. There's snow everywhere and the van is clean. We know what's happening. She says that Tommy feels bad about his past and he's changed and takes medication and has a job in Florida and is determined to change. Finn and Munch dig through the garbage because she's not giving them anything. And Belzer is wearing earmuffs and a hat. Chic. The mom runs out like, hey, bitch, stop looking through my garbage. And Finn, it's too late. He finds something from a Mexican laboratory, Pharmacia Vibes, liquid testosterone. And they're like, we know Tommy is coming home. She denies it. And they're like, his name and last week's date are on the meds. You're done. She says, ugh, he got a job at an ad agency in NYC. Monday through Thursday, he works, then flies down to Miami to get his injection. He is cured. And so they go to the ad agency. They find him. He has long hair. He's not as weird or pedo as the other creeps in this episode. And he's really striking and smooth, I would say. And he goes with them pretty quickly. Everyone in the office is abuzz and standing and watching. And they take his laptop and go into interrogation. He says, listen, nobody gave me a job in Florida. I had to come home. And I don't like flying up and down, but I do it. And he's against the sexual registry list, a.k.a. LOL. <laughs> like, what? Of course, <laughs> they're against it. He goes, it's hell for those trying to make a new start. And it's like, okay, but you are a pedophile rapist. Like, I don't know what you want from us. Like, you have to be on a list. He seems sincere, though. You know, he knows he broke parole, but he's taking his shots. And the parole office thinks that he's doing telemarketing from home. So they show him the vial of testosterone. And they're like, oh, was this for jet lag? He says, I want to live a normal life. Like, what woman wants to be with a guy who can't perform? And they're like, do you count Sherry Latham as a woman? And he goes, I don't know who that is. They show the pic. And they say, this is a nine-year-old that you raped and killed. He goes, this is a mistake. They say, hey, it's great if it's a mistake. We'll apologize to you. And send you on your way. But um, yeah, just show us some evidence. So do you have flight info? Um, or what if we find trace evidence in your van or DNA and fluids found in the girl? Like some of this will take time, but we're not worried because you'll just be in prison for your parole violation. So we're not in a hurry. You're not in a hurry. And he looks stunned, shocked, gooped, gagged. Elliot asks what happened and he's doing the like caring little routine. He's like, just tell us, honey, we care. He cries. He starts to breathe deep and says he noticed her before the other girls. And then he um, calls her a little princess and he starts crying more. And this is a really quick flip um, to, you know, in terms of SVU format. Um, he, He offered her a ride. He just wanted to talk to her. She was really sweet and lovely. Benson asks where he did it. It is in the van. She was crying and saying she would tell and he wanted to keep her quiet so he had to stop her. So he gagged her. Um, And then he left to get some air and when he came back, she wasn't moving. He did not mean to hurt her. He just wanted to rape and gag her. So then he said um, he can control his feelings, but then he read the story. 
what story on the internet? Pictures and words. Yes, that's a story. But it was stuck in his head. And then knock, knock, Cragen says the lab got something. You need to see this. So we have friend of the pod, Joel De La Fuente, and he found 40 kitty porn shots on this man's laptop. And one of the pictures is like the story that he was talking about of Janet. And it's how to stalk and rape little girls. Photos and like words, like the man said, and she's tied up in the same way in position as Cherie. And he copied exactly what he saw. Um, but also to me, I'm just like, well, who cares? Like motive like that doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter who inspired you. It's like the common Columbine shit. Yeah. It's like, this is... Uh, very few times I'm not fully gung-ho with SVU, and this is one of them where I'm like, this is really a stretch. Mm. So... Cabot, of course, is like, um, this is a dumb case. <laughs> like, he looked at pictures, doesn't diminish his culpability. And Sabler goes, yes, but Tommy deserves to be punished, obviously. But so is the person who made this. And she goes, juries don't go for shit like this. B.D. Wong babbles, and Cabot's like, no, porn does not make people do things. He goes, but it does desensitize them to stuff, and repeated viewing could push people to look at more wild, degrading shit, and then even act on it. And so the mur- so she goes, oh, so the murderer has no choice? Like, I'm not buying it. And B.D. Wong is like, listen, people are very susceptible. Like, he was even more susceptible. If he maybe never looked at the pictures after he had already done something like that, like, maybe he would have never done it. This is crazy reasoning. Okay, but basically he said, because he's done it before, he was more susceptible to the pictures. And if he didn't see him, he might not have ever done it. Elliot wants her to, like, Aaron Brockovich this, um, like, this business. Um, they're focused on queens, and they're called Love Incorporated. So they're like, fine, we'll go Aaron Brockovich. So there's a big raid, and there's a young, young girl in pigtails making porn. But she is 19, and she has a birth certificate. And Benson's like, you always have your birth certificate on you? And it's like, yeah, yes, she ha- needs an ID. Maybe she lost her ID at the bar last night. Fucking judgy <laughs> bitch. And he's trying to connect the case, but, like, She's like, I don't understand what you want from me. And they're like, just get to the chase. Tell us who signs your checks. And she goes, Stanley Billings from Excel Entertainment. And we see him and his suit is very ill-fitting. And he does like, he's like, I don't do anything illegal. He's really just a classic ill-fitting suit kind of man. And they're all of age, he says. And this guy is played by an actor named Brian Kerwin. Um, He's the dad in 27 Dresses. Also some other SVUs. He has 94 credits, including 308 episodes of One Life to live. Whoa. Maybe that's how I recognize him. I used to watch One Life to Live as a child. No, but he was only on it from 02 to 11. I was done by then. I I recognize him, but I don't know what I know him from. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Um, He he works. He works. For me, he's 27 Dresses because that's a movie I like to watch. Mm. Um, I used to support my airline that I was loyal to, but now with all the changes they've decided to make, I will not be mentioning them on this podcast ever again. Wow. But he, um, but this guy seems casual. He's like, I do everything legal. And they're like, well, this pic looks like a child. He goes, yeah, but they're not. It's virtual photography. And um, we make him look younger. It's AI. What do you want from me? It's not a crime. And Benson's like, well, this is connected to a nine-year-old death. And he's like, LOL, no, not at all. I've done nothing illegal. Benson screams, it's a murder manual. And she blames porn. And he's like, listen, take it up with the Supreme Court. Not my fucking business. So now Joel De La Fuente, a.k.a. Taru, says he uses soft that ages kids to find missing kids, but backwards. 
So that's how he does it. And then he does it to Benson's face and it's really fucked up. And Cragen calls them sick bastards. And he's mad they aren't breaking any laws. And Cabot's like, no, I know this really is a pickle. And Benson and Stabler are a dog with a bone and they need to get this company. And Elliot hates the Supreme Court. Cabot's like, okay, okay. If we can prove that Billings provided assistance to Tommy Hedges in the rape and murder of Sheree, then it's facilitation. And to get that done, he has to make a deal with, she needs to make a deal with the devil. And the devil is Tommy. And she goes, listen, if you help us, you don't get the death penalty. Trevor Langan, a.k.a. Mr. Mishra Hargitay, says, no, we need better. Not good enough. And she, like, he needs light at the end of the tunnel. She says, fine, murder too. So 25 years. And he likes that. It means he can, like, get out and commit another fucking crime in 25 years. So Cabot crosses her arms and starts getting scoop. When did you start receiving emails from Excel? So January, right when he got out of jail, they immediately started sending ads for websites. Um, and they had little samples and he was tempted, but he didn't give in until he finally saw the story of Janet. And there were a few lines and a girl dressed like a princess. These guys really love a princess vibe. And it was very exciting. So he signed up and he read the whole story and he wanted to feel the way that he used to. So that's when he ordered the tea. And so that's enough information. And they go and arrest um, this guy for facilitating murder, the murder of Sri Latham. And he's like, you're joking. And they arrest him. So Cabot and Stabler walk and talk. And, and she's like, this is a really huge gamble. Like, I can still lose it. And free speech is going to be brought up. And Barry Mordock walks in. And it's Cabot's old law professor. And he's and he's like, oh, we're going to be doing business together. Um, and they find out he's repping Stanley Billings because he loves the First Amendment. And, you know, the game, free speech versus murder. <laughs> and so she says, there's a case where if you publish instructions to aid someone in committing a crime, then boom, baby, you are guilty. And he's like, good, but it's not that. It's virtual pornography and it is protected. Stabler keeps pocket, popping in and saying stuff and they ignore him. They like talk over his head. And it does remind me of his character in Veep um, where he plays the personal <laughs> trainer who keeps talking yeah. and no one respects him. And it's like, wow, I didn't realize they were so connected. <laughs> Stabler is a jock at the end of the day, you know? Um, Cabot and Barry tussle, and he's excited for the fight and happy he taught her so well. And she goes, yes, and remember this, the thing speaks for itself. If it looks like kitty porn, then it is kitty porn. And then he smiles, and um, he goes, but there was no kid in the kitty porn. So Melinda's on the stand, and she's talking about her vomiting to death with her hands tied behind her back, and it's pretty gruesome. Cabot shows a drawing in the story of Janet, and it is identical on how they found the body. And so Tommy copy, copied the website at, at like every single detail. Barry kept, gets up and goes, what killed Cherie? Choked on vomit. He says, so she wasn't choked by a photograph? She wasn't kidnapped by a story or bound and gagged by a website. No to all the questions. And then Cabot knows she's been taken. Um, Tommy's on the stand. Why'd you kill her, dude? He says he never meant to kill her. He only meant to rape her, which, you know, doesn't look that good on the stand. <laughs> but, you know, we love a we love someone who takes accountability. Um, he says he wanted to rape her uh, because he couldn't stop thinking about being with a little girl. And they talk about chemical castration again. And then um, that it did work for over two years. But impulses began again after he got out of jail and getting those emails and advertising for child porn stories. He didn't sign up and he tried to ignore them, but the emails kept coming and he tried so hard not to look. But he looked and, you know, they said, she's waiting for you. Give her what 
what she wants. The tears well in his eyes. This man is talented. He couldn't think about anything else. He brought, um, so he bought the story and he copied the story in his actions. And it told me, you know, he says it told me exactly what to do. Nothing further for Cabot, but Barry's obviously going to fuck this guy up. He brings up a case for um, 1999 for the abuse of a 13-year-old girl. And he goes, and did a story make you do that? No. How about a 10-year-old in California in 1995? Another story to blame? No. What was the, when was the first time you were attracted to young girls? That was porn, right? Or were you just sick in the head? He's like, I don't know. And Barry's like, stop trying to blame something else for your issues. And he cries and is like, they wouldn't leave me alone while I was trying to control my feelings. And he says, but tell me, Tommy, did you enjoy kidnapping Cherie? And he says, yes. And I'm like, lie. Lie on the sand. What are you doing? Can I also say that it says that he that the chemical castration worked for two years, but they were two years while you were in jail? Because the email started coming right after he got out of jail. I know. I know. So if for two years that you're in jail, not around any children, it worked. How can we say that that's working? There's no children around. Maybe you're just like not having the thoughts. Anyway. Um, just, and so, that just hit me. <laughs> so, um, so then he goes, did you have second thoughts over what you were doing? He says, yes. And, he, and then Barry is like, so you knew it was wrong. And he does. And he says, yes. And he cries again. Why aren't you lying? Barry says, whose fault is that? He says, mine. He sniffles. The porn guy shifts in his seat. Like I have plans. I got to get out of here. <laughs> and then the porn guy is on the stand. He goes, listen, I have kids. The last thing I would do is make kitty porn. Um, and then he said that he made this product for people with youth preferences. And Cabot's like, you mean pedophiles? And he's like, maybe a small percentage are, but hey, it happens. So she pivots and asks if he makes any effort into minimize marketing to sex offenders. He goes, we market to people over 21 who enjoy adult entertainment. And so she says, you think child rape is entertainment? He says, it is not against the law to explore the dark side of human nature. And they fight back and forth about kiddie porn versus virtual pornography. He says it's a safe release. And she goes, you don't care if it's safe or not. You you just want it people to pay for your porn. Barry objects. Cabot says nothing further. But, uh, Billings goes to sit. The judge asks for counsel to meet up at um, at the bench. So the judge asks for counsel to meet at the bench and Barry's like, listen, she doesn't have, she didn't meet the burden of proof, Your Honor. And the jury might convict for emotional reasons, but no evidence. And the judge agrees she has to prove that the defendant knew um, that Tommy was likely to commit a crime. She will dismiss the case. Um, and she only has until tomorrow. Gavel, gavel, recess. And I love uh, this judge's soft tone speaking voice. It was very ASMR and soothing to me. Cabot's at the bar drinking and Ka- Novak would never. Novak would be doing work. You know what I mean? Go write a report. What are you doing at the bar? Mm. Um, so Cragen goes to check up on her and she's like, fuck, I need a smoking gun. And Cragen and co are looking and they just can't find anything. And Cabot's like, listen, this dude is all business. I just don't believe that he did not target sex offenders. Like this is no accident. He, um, Cragen orders a ginger ale and goes, I can resist everything except temptation. And then that's a light bulb moment for Alex. And she's like, oh, uh, she's like, Hedges said he tried to resist. I wonder just how much he was tempted. And so she is coked up and talking to Tommy in a cell. (laughs) How many times? How many times did Excel email you ads for their porn? He says 50 or 60. He only opened one. He deleted the rest of them. He selected opt-out options to get off the list, but emails kept coming. So boom, Barry uh, and Billings meet with Cabot and Billings is yelling. 
And he's like, I got a ton of employees, so we made a mistake. Like, one request, like, not my problem. And they go, not one request. 21 times in a row. This is not an accident. It's a policy. Barry's like, nice try, Alex, but nah. Aggressive advertising isn't against the law. And she's like, fine, we'll see what the jury says. Barry gives his freedom of speech closing argument, and Cabot gets up and is like, obviously, Tommy's a murderer, but Stanley played a part in this crime, and he is morally guilty. But you have to figure out if he's um, legally guilty as well? And the answer is yes. They put a deadly weapon in his hand even after he said no 21 times. So you are responsible. She slayed that. So now the jury comes back and they've reached a verdict. Guilty. He is shook. Cabot is shook. She looks proud. Barry says congrats. And he's like, I'll see you on appeal. And you got your conviction without stomping on the Constitution. Way to go. He's very proud. Um, And she's like, well, people are still using AI porn, so maybe not a full success. And they enter the elevator together, and he says, everybody won. And she says, not Cherie Latham. And that's the end, because it's not a game. Barry Mordock, you're a twisted little guy. And, you know, our girls really do work for the victims. And this was... um, a very, you know, beautiful end. But it's like, this guy does have money and Barry Mordock's right. Like, he'll just appeal and appeal until this gets tossed out. We've seen other cases like that, you know? Like, yeah. this is like, it's great that she got the conviction, but I don't think it will stand up for a while. But thank you for that beautiful recap. Take a listen to these words from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Okay, so I know that in this case, they actually reference Jean Benet, but if you watch the episode, like there's really not that much of a similarity to it. Like uh, the case, like it starts with like a little bit of a Jean Benet red herring, but it doesn't go the same way. So um, there's another episode in SVU that does reference Jean Benet more, resemble Jean Benet more ran- cl- uh, closely. So I'm going to save that for that. Um, this case does resemble a cold case from Utah, the murder of a three-year-old beauty queen named Rachel Runyon. I had Arrest no idea. the parents. I know. I had no idea you could put kids in pageants. And she was like two when she won the pageant, I think. It was the year before she went missing. So Rachel was the middle child with two brothers being raised in Sunset, Utah, where uh, the year before her abduction and murder, she had won the title of Little Miss Sunset. On August 26, 1982, Rachel was playing in a playground 15 feet from her family's home. So the mom said she was making lunch and she could actually see her kids at this playground and she was communicating to them. And when she called them in for lunch, she was out there with her two brothers. The kids came in back without the sister because apparently a young black man had approached them and tried to lure them with candy. The guy played with the three kids for a few minutes and I don't know why the mom didn't see that, but then they walked part of the way to his car before thinking better of it. And the older brother, Justin, age five, was like, Rachel, don't go with him. And when Rachel turned to walk away, the guy just grabbed her and put her in his car screaming and took off in a blue 1973 Ford Pinto Squire station wagon with wood grain stripes on the side. A very distinct car. Their mother called the police when only the two uh, sons returned home. First, she checked a supermarket because the brother said he was going to take us to the supermarket for ice cream. So she ran to the supermarket asking if anyone had seen this man with her daughter, then called the police. Like, so it was 20 minutes. Now, um, this is a missing white girl in 1982. So, of course, a task force was set up immediately through Justin and another kid who was also approached by this man at the playground. They were able to put together a description that this man was black, three, 30 to 35, six feet tall, medium build, afro, handlebar mustache. 
However, Jason, now an adult, has claimed more recently that it was a Hispanic man who took his sister. He thought that it was more, he was described as a light-complected black man, but this guy, Justin, is like, they believe the older kid because he was 10 and I was five, but I think the guy was Latino. But the only witnesses were kids. There were no video, there was no video footage. There was no forensic evidence. Tips came in, but they ultimately went nowhere. There was a ton of publicity around this case. The parents flew to New York City for a press conference. They went on the Today Show, offered a $20,000 reward. It was big news back then. And then about, sadly, about three weeks after her abduction, a family that was like playing in a stream in green in Mountain Green, Utah, about 50 miles from sunset, discovered what they thought was a doll, but it was Rachel naked with her hands bound behind her back, much like the victim in Little Cherie in the episode. Family ID'd her from a chipped tooth and her ear piercings, but the body was so decomposed at that point that cause of death was never determined. Her parents had a funeral for her and her gravestone read, she brought a nation to its knees. So her murder prompted the Rachel Alert, which was a child's abduction alert system, in 2002, but and it was used in the disappearance of Elizabeth Smart in 02 and in the abduction of three-month-old Nicholas Triplett in 03. Both kids were found alive, but then in 03, it was replaced by the nationwide Amber Alert system. Also, she died in 82. It took 20 years for them to call it the Rachel Alert thing, but, you know... I guess 2002 is when those kinds of things started coming out. The case also prompted the passage of the U.S. Congressional Missing Children's Act in 1983, mandating additional source resources going uh, towards uh, ongoing missing children cases and getting descriptions of missing children into an uh, FBI National Crime Information Database. And uh, in Utah, they test the Amber Alert twice a year, and one of the dates is on 826, the anniversary of her abduction. Um, in May of 2016, the park where she was abducted from was renamed Rachel Runyon Memorial Park. Very, very sad. Um, and then this is one of Utah's most famous cold cases. They do not know who did this. And in 2022, a woman claimed her uncle may have been the one who killed Rachel, but the Sunset Police like didn't really find it credible enough to investigate. And so still at large, it's been 40 years since she was killed and not nothing. It's sad because it reminded me of that case that we covered in conscience where the kid just went for a walk like a hundred feet to his school at the end of the road or something and somebody and, and a kid got him, you know, like, or, but in this case, it was four blocks in the Sheree Lathan case. And in this, she was at a playground 15 feet outside the mom's window. She said she was making lunch and talking to the kids like while they were playing. So it's really, it's so sad. But, um, and like in the pictures of her, obviously her, her picture that's most publicized is like her as a beauty queen. And she is very cute, but it's, why do you need to put two-year-olds and three-year-olds in beauty pageants? I don't get it. Like, by the time they're eight or nine, if they're begging, I don't know what you do. I still wouldn't do it, but they're asking for it. Like, a two- or three-year-old, does she know what she's even doing competing in a beauty pageant? I don't know. So, this episode also deals with the legality and ethics regarding computer-generated um, child sex abuse material, which I'm just going to call CSAM from now on because I am saying it so much. And this is a huge issue right now. Like, when I Googled this, there were, like, 10 recent articles talking about this. Um, like, does this kind of material encourage predators as the episode clearly is taking that stance or does it protect children by providing victimless child sex abuse images? So... 
Let's talk about it because the dawn of AI is upon us. Uh, this is becoming more and more common. I found so much about this. Um, uh, the Washington Post said that in June that thousands of AI-generated child sex images had been found on the dark web. And that seems like, thousands seems like a low number. Like, I would assume there would be millions, especially if computers are just like churning these out. Rebecca Portnoff, who is the director of data science at Thorn, which is Ashton Kutcher's nonprofit about CSAM and child trafficking. Well, not anymore, baby. Yeah. But she said, quote, children's images, including the content of known victims, are being repurposed for this really evil output. So it's not just like you're creating like a, a like a child's sex abuse image out of nowhere. It is being mined from actual photos of victims as well as just images of children. So... Thorne has witnessed a month-over-month -month increase in the number of these images as of late, especially since ChatGPT, all this stuff started coming uh, into the fold really mainstream-wise a few months ago. Uh, while there are systems in place to block these kinds of images from the internet, the systems are designed to catch known child sex abuse images, not newly generated images. Like, they can't just catch, they can't just like recognize what's a bad image. They just, they have to be told what's bad images. And this can fuck up law enforcement as well, who are already underwater trying to identify actual victims, which we discussed in uh, collateral damages. Like remember the guy who was in the office was just like the dead eyes and like, it's just a never ending like game of whack-a-mole to try to find uh, who's behind these images. And so now they're gonna have to spend time figuring out what images are real versus generated. And it's hard to know how to like prioritize cases when you don't know. The Washington Post had a quote that said, Justice Department officials who combat child exploitations say such images still are illegal even if the child shown is AI generated, but they could cite no case in which someone had been charged for creating one. So the legal area is very gray here. There's a uh, company called Stability AI, which runs a diffusion model called Stable Diffusion. So diffusion models are uh, like an AI tool that can create a convincing image just by typing in a prompt. So essentially, probably... It sounds like what ChatGPT does, but these, I guess, are more uh, precise tools. Like one is called DALL-E, D-A-L-L-E. One is called Midjourney, and then Stable Diffusion. These are a few of the big diffusion models. Um, so the company that owns that is called uh, Stability AI. And they said in a statement that, it, that they ban the creation of child sex abuse images and assists law enforcement in investigations into, quote-unquote, illegal or malicious uh, uses and has removed explicit material from its training data, reducing the, quote, ability for bad actors to generate obscene content. But the problem is the tool is available to anyone. It's open source and they can use it however they want. So even though you click a little box that says, I will not use this to exploit or harm minors in any way, the features that flag this type of content are very easy to get around. It's very easy to like code around it if you're just like a person that knows computers. And these, trust me, these guys are on the dark web comparing notes on how to do this shit. So Stability AI's chief executive is named Ahmad Mostak. He told uh, Verge, um, another publication called Verge, he said, quote, ultimately it's people's responsibility as to whether they are ethical, moral, and legal in how they operate this technology. The bad stuff that people create will be a very, very small percentage of the total use. That's what this guy says. On dark web pedophile forums, users openly discuss how to create this CSAM and get around porn filters. And one of the ways they do it is by creating, like, by using non-English languages, which they don't think um, are getting monitors as heavily as English language uh, stuff. They also chat about creating fake underage personas 
to win over young targets online. Like, it's not even just about making gross images. It's like, oh, here's a picture of me. And it's like a picture of a, of, of a little girl you created as a pedophile that you're using to like befriend another kid on the internet. AI-generated CSAM exists in a legal gray area because fully AI-generated images do not depict a real child being harmed. And I think this is, might be what they were talking about when they were railing against the Supreme Court in this um episode. In 2002, the Supreme Court struck down two provisions of a 1996 congressional ban on virtual child pornography, ruling that the wording was broad enough to potentially criminalize literary depictions of teenage sexuality. So they, they, you know, were like, oh, you're, the way that you're describing this is too broad. Like, we might not be able to have some of the, you know, literature that we have. It would be too constrictive, this law. So, but the problem is, back then, generated CSAM was pretty distinguishable from the CSAM that featured actual victims. Like, back then, it was like, what is this? Like, probably looked like our PowerPoint presentations on when we're on the, doing our live shows. Like, not very, it's not very technically, you know, advanced images. But now, the gap between those types of images has closed almost completely. It's, like, very hard to tell the difference between what is... Um, real and what's fake. So according to the Washington Post, two officials with the Justice Department's Child Exploitation and Obscenity section said that the images are illegal under a law that bans any computer-generated image that is sexually explicit and depicts someone who is, quote, virtually indistinguishable from a real child. So it sounds like it's illegal, but then it also sounds like there's ways around it. It's Even if it's illegal, it seems like it's impossible to police. Another federal law which passed in 2003, all around the time that this episode came out, bans any computer-generated image showing a child engaging in sexually explicit conduct if it is obscene and lacks serious artistic value. The law notes that, quote, it is not a required element of any offense that the minor depicted actually exist, end quote. So that sounds like good laws, but I just don't know if we are figuring out a way to stop this from being uh, disseminated so quickly and in such huge volume. There are some proposed solutions, including digital watermarks, um, but that's all just being figured out. Like, everyone would have to get on board with digital watermarks, like, using the same kind of system. Um, and, uh, like, uh, one guy said it's kind of like we're we're doing this while riding a bike or something like that. I forgot what his term was, but it was like, we're basically, oh, we're building the plane while we're flying in it or something, whatever that phrase is. Like the whole technology is just growing and changing at such a rapid pace. So the legislation, obviously, as we know, is moves at a snail's pace. Um, and a huge problem, it seems also, is that this type of child sex abuse material can be produced so quickly in such huge quantity that it can serve to normalize sexualizing children or make sexual abuse seem commonplace. Plus, we forget that a lot of predators use these kind of materials to persuade children that it's normal. Like, oh, look, do you want to try this? This seems normal. And it's like a fully generated image of maybe even a child looking happy doing what they're doing, you know? Like, so it's really fucked up and I hope we figure out something with it. Another thing this episode touched on that I do think is interesting is the recidivism among uh, ch uh, child predators and like pedophiles. And I guess there's this whole thing where like an article came out many, many years ago that says that 80% of, of pedophiles reoffend, And apparently that statistic is just made up. And the Supreme Court has literally quoted that before. Like everybody thinks that's the statistic and it's not true. But there is uh, so much information on re the recidivism and I truly could not tell 
what was legit and what wasn't. Like there were law papers, but it's like, I can't tell. I don't think I'm qualified to talk about such a huge topic when there's so much um, information out there about that and there's studies and I don't know how to interpret studies because I'm not a scholar. So, but it is interesting. I did read a bunch of stuff that was saying like, is the thing about child sex offenders re-offending, is it overblown? But you guys can check that out. The internet is at your disposal, sadly. Um, And that's that. Uh, why is everything so complicated? I know. These I feel like they have to figure out a watermark system. Like, they have to figure out some kind of watermark system that, but I don't think it's going to stop what the people are using this material for. It's all too much. All right. Well, yeah. let's, let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into our postmortem. All right, so the postmortem is bleak because it feels like child's computer-generated sex abuse material is, uh, child sex abuse material is uh, the future and it's going to be like whack-a-mole. I know you're very good at whack-a-mole, but it feels like it's going to be impossible whack-a-mole to get rid of. And fuck, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really interesting that I could not find like definitive literature or, like, anything about whether pedophiles can be rehabilitated. Like, if you do, like, dangle this kind of material in front of people, are they going to bite no matter what? Even if they have been, like, are doing chemical castration or whatever, you know? Are we just talking or are you doing it right now? We're doing a postmortem, right? Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just felt like you were talking to me. You usually don't really talk to me during these, so I didn't know what was happening. Wait, what do you mean I don't usually talk to you during these? You usually just present the postmortem. No, you're talking about what would Sister Peg do when I present it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, have I been doing 150 episodes of you not looking at you during the postmortem? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I fucked up. I thought you were doing a what would Sister Peg and I just got our friend's invitation no, to her child that birthday. That makes sense because Casey so, was just asking about it. Yeah, no, we should leave this all in, but I was just looking at flights quickly because I was like, oh, I'll change my flight so I can make it to our friend's daughter's birthday. And then you're looking at me and I'm like, what, bitch? Like, yeah, it's going to be dark. And then... <laughs> <laughs> we fully have lost it. We've um, lost uh... it. <laughs> If you're tuning in for the first time, we're usually a little more on top of it, but <laughs> we're keeping whatever. all of this in. Okay. <laughs> I think it's fun. They need to see us. They need to see us for who we are. <laughs> no, I remember there was one uh, comment. Someone, someone was mad at us about something and they're like, how you portray yourself. And I'm like, we all get to be ourselves. We don't have H. I guess we do have HR, but they don't. Have- <laughs> <laughs> they told me not to say cunt once and I said, I'll walk. I'll walk. <laughs> Are we feminism or are we not feminism? I don't know what to tell you. Yes. Uh, okay. No, this is horrible. Pedophiles are horrible. Child pageants are horrible. I, you know, children should be able to like live their dream. I, I always hate when it's like, you shouldn't wear that. There are pedophiles. It's like, no, no, no. Kids should be able to wear what they want, be who they want. I think young children, sh- girls should be able to not have to wear a bikini top. Like what is this yeah. fucking anti-pedophile theater we're doing, you know? So I think, you know, if volleyball uniform, like we should be able to wear what we want as youth. 
But something about pageantry is not that for me. Pageantry, yeah. is, it's too, it's like, you're, you're come and get it. That's what I feel you're doing I mean, to pedophiles. Like, I understand, like, look, pageants, when you get older, when you're like in your teens or 20s, people are like, oh, there's scholarship involved. Like, like there's a philanthropy aspect. Okay, fine. If that's your dream, fine. But like, once you're post-puberty and you can like understand what like, you know, what you're even getting into. Like, I don't really get what a three or a four-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old really is getting out of pageantry. Like, just like having makeup on and doing your hair. But happy to hear from parents of of people who put their kids into pageants that young. I just don't get it at all. And unfortunately... I think it's like moms... I think it's parents living... Because that dad in the episode, like, that was for him. Yeah. Like, Ugh, I, and if I watched, worshipped her, I would uh, like never say that language about my children. But like toddlers and tiaras, like it's like the mom is obviously like, wow, my kid is pretty and I'm not. So I'm going to do this to her. Yeah. No offense. <sighs> and then, well, yeah. Or like I did pageants and I never got that far, but I know my daughter could get farther, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, so because I, I like the talent of it all. I like the speech portions. I even love the creativity. Like, put on a fun outfit. Yeah. I think it's the um, the nose job in the episode, the eyelashes, the wigs, the... It's just... it's The it's, flipper, where they get a little flipper. If they're missing their two front teeth, they get a little fake two front teeth called a flipper. I mean, but I actually don't even hate the flipper. <laughs> I... I <laughs> The flipper's fine because these t- these kids look disgusting with the holes in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm for flippers. Get out 24/7. of my face, you gap tooth bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm I'm pro flipper. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm part of. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, there's just better activities. There's just um because I believe, you know, I believe group sport, team sports really help uh, kids. Let's move on to our What Would Sister Peg Do? Our weekly segment where we point you to more resources that can help flesh out today's topics. Um, I'm obviously not going to point you to anything about child pageantry, but um, I wanted to get eyes on an article about child sexual abuse material that's featured on the site for National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. There's a lot of data about how many victims there are of CSAM, like what the overarching issues are. The data is all there. There's also resources for victims. So uh, that's at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. It's missingkids.org. But uh, there's a specific article that we're linking to in our show notes, as well as in our uh, Instagram stories the day that this episode comes out and saved forever in our WWSPD highlight on our Instagram page. And thank you for that. Very important. And next week, we'll be doing Secrets. Season two, episode 12, Secrets. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for listening, for coming to live shows, for writing us, for complimenting us. We love you forever, and we'll see you next week. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedupppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. 
thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien, and our associate producer, Christina Chamberlain. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun, dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.